Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. You are being transformed into the image of His Son, Jesus. Our God is a sent God, and He is a sending God. The Father sent the Son, the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit, and the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are sending the church out on mission into the world. So our identity as the people of God, our identity as followers of Jesus, is wrapped up in who we are because of God. It's wrapped up in our identity that comes from God. We are a sent people. So for this series, we've been talking about what does that mean? What does that look like for us to be a sent people whose identity is found in in God himself? So today we're continuing this conversation. And uh, specifically, we're going to be looking at what it means to be a sent people where we live. And we're going to be talking about a practice and a posture that is known as neighboring. And so... What better way to kickstart this conversation together uh, than to look at a house? And I believe uh, I showed you this house a number of years ago. There's no better house to spark a conversation about neighboring. So let's bring up this house. This is the first slide. This is an actual house. It's not the butter dome. It is the armor dome. It's literally a fortress that is made out of concrete and steel. Uh, Not only will it resist a zombie apocalypse, uh, it is also impervious to... Uh, gas company salespeople and people canvassing for political parties. This is a house. Next slide. This is what it looks like when the front gates come down and the front gates are open. Doesn't it feel welcoming? Let's look in the next slide. This is a view of the house from the back yard. At this point, you may be wondering, how on earth does somebody get into this house? Well, let's look at the next slide. At a push of the button, the entire house begins to open up. There's no other way in to get into the house. So I'm, you've got to imagine that if you lose your keys or you forget your passcode, you're in a little bit of trouble here, right? Fifi the dog might be in there for a very long time and might be forced to eat Fluffy the cat, okay? Do not lose your keys in this house. Next slide. Here's what it looks like from the backyard when it's opened up. It actually starts to look a little nice. It looks pretty beautiful. Let's do a close-up. Next slide. This is what the back looks like close up. Uh, next slide. This is what it looks like at nighttime. That looks pretty good. Now that's a pretty cool design for a house. And again, if you want to keep people out, this is the kind of house you want. And all the introverts said, amen. Okay, let's go back to slide one. This is the drive-by view of the house when nobody's home and everybody's off in Silicon Valley doing their work or wherever it is that they're from. You know, I was thinking about it. And I was thinking, you know, if I just moved into this neighborhood and I saw this house, what kind of a message would this house be sending to me? You know, and what's, what's the vibe I would get from this house as I did a drive-by? I mean, I, I probably wouldn't walk up to this house and say, hey, can I please borrow a cup of sugar? I'm a little bit short, right? Because it's kind of got that go away, I'm wearing Kevlar and the kids are in the bomb shelter kind of vibe to it, right? Um, this is the kind of yard where I really hate to accidentally kick my ball over the fence, right? Unless I get shot by laser-sighted machine guns. Okay. But when I look at this house, 
I have to reflect on my own house, the place where I live. Because I just moved into a new neighborhood this past year, and so I have to wonder, you know, what do my neighbors think about when they drive past my house or they walk past my house? What do my neighbors think about when they see me out there worrying through these new plastic garbage bins that the neighborhood, the city has set up in my neighborhood? You know, they see me fumbling around and bumbling around and going back into my house. What do they think? What's the vibe they get? Do they feel open or closed? Do they feel warm or cold? Do they think friendly or afraid? You ever wonder about that? You ever think about your own house? The place where you live? I realize not everybody lives in houses. Some of us live in apartments, some of us live in basement suites, some of us live in dorm rooms. Um, but you have a place where you dwell. And people are constantly walking past your house. When you think about somebody else's house and you walk by it, what are the things come to your mind? Um, and these are important questions, especially when I consider that Jesus wants me to be a good neighbor. In fact, as it turns out, Jesus talked quite a lot about this. I mean, for example, there's a time when Jesus was confronted by this lawyer. This guy's an expert in religious law. He's a teacher of the law. And he asked Jesus this question. He says, Jesus, what is, what is the greatest commandment that's written in the law? And let me just read Jesus' response to you from Matthew chapter 22. Here's what he said. And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying, listen, the absolute greatest commandment, the biggie, there's nothing greater than all of these. The greatest commandment is simply this. Love God with everything, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything that's in you, everything that's part of you, your, your, the, the way you spend your time, the way you use your assets, the way, the way you're in relationship with other people. Do it all to love God. That is the greatest commandment. This is what you were made for. But the second commandment is a whole lot like it. The second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the way that you would want to be loved, the way that you would expect to be loved, the way that you crave to be loved, that's the way that you should love your neighbor. It's the second greatest commandment. And Jesus said that these are the two greatest commands. And in fact, they summarize, he said, they summarize all of the other laws, all of the other commandments that are found in the Old Testament. So if you get these two right, you'll get the other ones right. And if you do a bunch of all the other commandments, but you ignore these two, you're missing the mark. Love God first. Love your neighbor. These are the two greatest commandments. Which begs the question, who then is my neighbor? And clearly, it doesn't just include the people who live close to you, the people in your neighborhood, Mr. Rogers. No. The lawyer asked Jesus this very same clarifying question. You read about it in, in the Gospel of Luke. So Jesus, in response to this question, this clarifying question, he told the story of a man who was robbed, who was helped by a good Samaritan. The good Samaritan, of course, Jesus, the point of the story is this good Samaritan exemplified good neighboring. This, this good Samaritan exemplified what it meant to live out this second great commandment. But here's the thing. The good Samaritan and the guy that was robbed didn't actually live close to each other. As a matter of fact, they lived in two separate countries. They're from two very different ethnic backgrounds. So the neighbor you love is 
not simply a person who lives in your geographical neighborhood. The neighbor you love is a person in need who you can help. That's who your neighbor is, generally speaking. So this idea of loving your neighbor, we get it, I understand it. It is a very broad category of who is the person I should love. It can mean the person you work with. It can mean that person you talk to in the grocery line. It can mean um, you know, someone you're talking to on the sideline of your kids' sporting events. It could be the guy who's picking bottles in the dumpster, or the classmate who sits beside you or sits behind you at school. Jesus said that the greatest thing you can do in this life, apart from loving God, the greatest thing you can do in this life is to love your neighbor. To love them in the way that you yourself would want to be loved. That is the second greatest commandment. In other words, love people well. But here's the thing. Loving your neighbors means Generally speaking, loving anybody in need, it's a broad category. But loving your neighbors also includes your actual neighbors. Your actual geographical neighbors. Which is why since our early days of Crosspoint, we have um, been supporters of, we have been reinforcing the practice and posture that is known as We want to be a church community that highly avows we want to be the best geographical neighbors on the planet. And the reason why is because Jesus said to do it. Love your neighbors. So the question is, what is neighboring? I'm going to give you a real strong definition here this morning. It's a, um, a bit of a topsy-turvy definition that's uh, not very memorable. Okay, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Neighboring means to intentionally incarnate the good news about Jesus where you live. Let me say that again. Neighboring means to intentionally incarnate the good news about Jesus where you live. So it means to be good news to your neighbors. It means to love your neighbors. It means to be the hands, the feet, and the voice of Jesus to your neighbors, the people who live near you. Now, I realize that that word incarnate is not an everyday word, right? It, it's something that's not commonly used in our language. So let me explain that word in just a little bit more detail this morning. Let me read a very well-known verse to you from John chapter 1 and verse 14. Here's what it says. It's talking about Jesus here. The author, John, as he's writing his gospel, says, And the Word, Jesus, became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, this one little verse describes what's known as the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus, the Word of God, left heaven, and He came and lived among us. He was incarnated, okay? He became one of us. And when you, when you think about it, when you really think about it, Jesus actually lived in a kind of a fortress. Heaven was a place that was perfect. It was untouched by evil. It's unassailable by darkness. It's a place where God's will gets done, period. God's will is perfect in heaven, right? It's untouched. It's a fortress. And, and Jesus could have stayed in heaven because it was his dwelling place. It's where he's from. It's his neighborhood. But instead, as the text says, Jesus left his heavenly dwelling and he came to earth. So he gave up power, he gave up perfection, and he took on human flesh. He was born as a baby. He was vulnerable. He was frail. He cried for mother's milk. He wet his diaper. Okay? He was fully human and fully God. He came in human flesh, born as a baby. He, he, this is what is known as the incarnation. Jesus was incarnated. He was God with skin on, in the flesh, 
dwelling among us. So the text says that it's interesting. The text says that Jesus dwelt among us. So he made his home among us. I love how Eugene Peterson phrases this in the message, his translation of this verse. Here's what he says. John chapter 1, verse 14. Let's just bring it up. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I like that. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Jesus made a decision to leave the fortress and to come and dwell among us. So the idea behind neighboring is that we would do the same with our geographical neighbors. To incarnate the good news about Jesus. To be good news with skin and bones on. To be the hands and feet and the voice of Jesus to your neighbors. Being with them. Knowing them. Loving them. Serving them. Just as Jesus would do. So it, mo- it means moving from being strangers to being acquaintances and into deeper relationship with your neighbors. Because here's the thing. You cannot love your neighbor if you don't know your neighbor. And you cannot serve your neighbor if you do not know your neighbor. You cannot be good news to your neighbors if you don't know your neighbors. And the best way to share the good news is to actually just be good news to your neighbors. That is always the starting point. So the starting point for us as followers of Jesus is to leave the fortress and to get to know our neighbors. Now, the reality is, uh, I think for most of us, we would probably agree with this. Because a lot of people, what's interesting, a lot of people don't actually know who their neighbors are don't know their names, um, or kind of know their names, but they're just just kind of out there, right? But the reality is, is, is that loving our neighbors and knowing our neighbors is not automatic. Matter of fact, it takes some work. It takes effort, especially in this fast-paced, busy world. People are coming and going. People are working shifts. People are, you know, got their own schedules and, and all of that. And especially because your neighbors themselves also live in fortresses, right? You've got your fortress. They've got their fortress. There's a, a whole row of fortresses that are down the street. You know, did you know that a hundred years ago, most homes were designed with front decks in front of their homes? That's the way that, that neighborhoods were typically set up. With the advent of the automobile and with garages for those automobiles, everything began to change. Uh, so there's a very intentional shift in our culture, in city planning and city design, away from front porches to moving garages to the front of the house. The decks in the house were moved to the back of the house. We erected six-foot fences. We minimized the space on our front yards, and it radically changed not only our houses, but it actually radically changed our culture. It radically changed the way that we communicate with each other in our culture, all because of well, the automobile and the shift in garages. Well, what's, what's begun to happen is city planners have begun to realize the negative effect that this is actually having on communities. And as a result, there's, there's newer developments that have begun to emerge with walkable neighborhoods. Front yard porches has begun to appear again, right? So you can sit on your front porch, and as neighbors walk by, as you're sipping your lemonade, or it's 30 below and you're drinking your hot chocolate, whatever, okay? Your neighbor walks by, and you can say, hey, Joe, hey, Fred, you know, and you can get to know each other. But now what happens is we get home from work, we're tired, we drive into our garages, we close the garage door, we walk in that little door into our house, and we never ever see our neighbors. So this has had very negative effects on communities, uh, particularly in suburban settings, and people are seeking to change that. The bottom line is this. If you wish to get to know your neighbors, you actually have to be very, very intentional in some of the places where you live. It's up to you to leave the fortress behind, to step out into the world and build relationships with your neighbors. 
Today, we're going to get the chance to hear stories of a few cross who are just beginning to discover what it means to do that. Um, and so I'm delighted to invite these cross-pointers to the stage. I'm going to invite them up right now, give them a hand as they come, and I'll introduce them once they're up here. So, come on, all right. Oh, it's good to sit. Okay. Uh, all right, so we have here Peter and Vicki Martin. Yeah. And Phil and Rebecca Nay. All right. And uh, both of these guys have been doing neighboring, these couples have been doing neighboring in, in very unique ways. And you know, the thing about neighboring is that this is actually going to look very different depending on where you live, depending on what your family dynamic is. Uh, there's so many different factors that just that God sets up to cause this neighboring thing to happen. So um, it's probably better to say that uh, these guys are all learning about what it means to be neighboring. A uh, bit of a disclaimer, nobody does neighboring perfectly, uh, as both these couples are going to attest to this morning. So, uh, let me start with Peter and Dickie. Uh, there were a couple of unique events that got you guys started on this whole neighboring journey. So, tell us about those and where they led. Um, as it turns out, um, Peter and I have been around Crosspoint since the beginning of Crosspoint time. Um, and so... Most of the time when it, the portable party pack came up and people said, oh, you can book this to plan your own block party, my internal response was, that's a really great idea for somebody else. <laughs> um, I am the definition of an introvert. Um, that should be somebody, a social butterfly should do that. That shouldn't be me. I've got my own little things that I can do. Um, I was quite happy to do them and not so happy about the idea of neighboring. Um, as Rob kind of hinted at, there was one very dramatic event actually in our neighborhood that caused me to change. I call it my divine kick in the butt. Um, so that was two years ago, um, May long weekend. Um, I came out on Saturday morning to start planting my garden. Um, and when I looked over my back fence, there were a couple of cop cars across our back alley. Um, they'd put tape over across one of my neighbor's back fences and we're there, and this was unusual. We live in Dovercourt, which is a neighborhood just south of Yellowhead between St. Albert Trail and 142nd. Um, we're a 1950s built community, um, small houses, big yards, but generally a really quiet neighborhood, so this is kind of unusual. And of course, as soon as there's cop cars there, I'm like, who is it that lives there? And this house is about three or four houses away, we've got this kind of funny triangle section with the back alleys. Yeah, if you see it, it'll make sense. Um, I can clearly see his garage from my garage, put it that way. Um, but just far enough that I couldn't remember who it was. And the best that I could do was, was I think that's the old guy that drives the big white car. Um, and, uh, yeah, so still working in the garden that some of the other neighbors are coming around because they're curious um, and one of them was able to say oh yeah that is the guy that I'm thinking of um, he's a senior who lives on his own um, recently retired um, he didn't know, know his name either though um, and the longer the cops are there the longer that we're starting to get a little bit agitated and our kids are asking what's going on so Peter comes up to the cop and asks him what's up and he says your neighbor was found dead so in order to keep our kids from panicking 
and in order to keep ourselves from panicking, we're like, well, maybe it was just that he had died, and because he lives on his own, he'd been there for a while, and they just had to check it out. The longer the cops were there, the longer it was increasingly obvious that was not the case. Um, they were there for a little over two days, um, and it was not until the day after that that it finally came out in the news that it had been a homicide. Um, that guy who did it was not known to the guys who was killed, which is a little unusual. Um, and there was a warrant out for the arrest of a man that they was known to police. Um, and within the week, they found him and caught him. So, I was disturbed by this. Um, there's the obvious. Um, this is supposed to happen somewhere else. Um, this is not supposed to happen within sight of your own house. Um, there was the moment of, uh, my kids should never leave my sight. Um, I got over that. It's okay. They're 10 and 13. Um, <laughs> they are allowed out of my sight now. Um, and it really bothered me that I had lived in this house for nine years at that point, and the best that I could do was, I think, that's the old guy that drives the big white car. Um, so, I'm not sure exactly what moment it was, but some point in that week, I switched from, it would be kind of nice to know my neighbors, or even I kind of want to know my neighbors, it was now, I need to get to know my neighbors, um, and I need to do it now. Um, so. Pretty much immediately, I started going to the neighbors that we can see from our house kind of thing. Um, lots of them, we knew their first names. We started getting to know their last names. Um, the ones that I'd been introduced to before and I'd forgotten their names, I relearned their names. Um, and we started swapping phone numbers, um, all with the intention, you know, I hope this is only just to tell you that you left your house door open. Um, the kind of nice thing was that almost everybody understood why I would suddenly want to really know who my neighbors are. Um, so all of our neighbors were very understanding about that. Um, it also just happened to be at the same time um, that Abundant Communities Edmonton um, was being established in our neighborhood. And I don't know if you know anything about it because it's not in every neighborhood. Um, but Abundant Communities is basically all about trying to get neighborhoods to get to know each other. Um, so a lot of forming community associations, well, not community associations, um, getting block parties going, um, getting neighbors to know each other. Um, and it just happened to be that the woman who was coordinating that for our neighborhood was somebody that I already knew. Um, I'd taught her girls piano lessons before. So we went for coffee and I signed up to be the block connector for basically the south side of our back alley. Um, in our neighborhoods, um, the people on the north side of our back alley look on to the Yellowhead Berm, so there isn't anybody there. The people on the south side of our back alley look on to a lovely little tree park, um, so there isn't anybody outside our front doors. All of the connecting happens in the back alley. Um, that's where the garages are, so we do our connecting over the back fence. Um, that's kind of what makes sense for us. Um, so I had to stretch myself a little bit further, introduce myself to the 19 houses in our back alley. Um, I got together with the block connector who was um, the block connector for the north side. We got together and put together the first block party that has happened in our neighborhood in a little over 30 years. Um, so one of our ladies who had been around since the first built like 60 years ago was able to tell us that, which was kind of cool. Um, 
So out of the 40 houses, there was about 40 people that showed up, which initially I was a little bit disappointed by, but um, apparently it is kind of normal for about a third to a quarter of your neighborhood to actually come out to a block party. Everybody loves the idea of a block party, but not everybody shows up. So um, we did that again last year. The plan is to do that every year. And that's, yeah, that's my story of my divine kick in the butt. Awesome, awesome. Um, and you used the portable party pack in your block party. Awesome, okay. Uh, now you've also been doing some other things to get better connected in your neighborhood. So Peter, tell us, uh, what have you been up to? Our community league has a newsletter, and in that is a little art. Um, it was painting, so we go out for two hours a week, and then she grew tired of it, and so now it's passed on to a parent of one of the painting students that came to like the painting and waiting in the living room. And now she's growing weary of it, so it's actually going to come to me, painting with Peter. I was just going to stick with painting with Kim and just have to call her. <laughs> but the other way that uh, I've managed to connect at all with the neighborhood is I'm a tradesman. And so when my garage door opens, you can see there's a whole bunch of trade junk. But if you're in the situation where you need something, that is where the, the guys in the neighborhood know that, you know, you've got the tools. I, I could help. Yeah. And Likewise, my neighbor across the way, who has collected garages, he has three of them around the neighborhood. He's got metal buildings. So when I need something, I can go and do a trade. Right. So I've, I've, I've traded quite a bit of taping and plastering bathrooms for the metal parts for my barbecue, things like that. So yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, you're, so you're connected to the community league, uh, painting. Um, so when he, when he says painting with Penny, they're doing part of painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, yeah, swapping tools. Yes. Great way to get to know neighbors. Very cool. Um, okay, well, let me uh, let me ask you this other question here. Um, it sounds like you guys are, are now more connected to neighbors than ever before, right? So, uh, and that's the thing is, it actually takes time to start building these relationships. With your neighbors, it's, it's never automatic. When you're talking about. Uh, so I, I, let me just let me swing over to you guys, Phil and Rebecca. And uh, I think you guys mentioned that getting to your no neighbors, knowing your neighbors, hasn't been as much of a challenge. It wasn't a, an inciting incident that, that caused it to happen, uh, largely because of where you live, and also because people have kind of gone before you. So talk to us about that, Phil. Why don't you talk to us about that? Sure. So we live in the Alberta Avenue neighborhood, which is south of. And when we moved there, we found that there was so much great stuff already happening there. And we just needed to say yes to being part of it. There were um, Christians that had made an attempt really successfully to develop community to help neighbors to know each other. Darcy and Kristen Warren from um, Crosspoint were a big part of that. And then we lived just down the street church planters who had done a lot to connect with the neighborhood and get people to know each other. So in our neighborhood, we sign up for our street's Facebook group. There's another neighborhood Facebook group. There are block parties that happen regularly. And 
that doesn't mean that it's easy, that it happens all of a sudden, that you just, um, because you're part of these things, that people are all friendly to you. But by saying yes to these kind of small things, by um, being open to sharing things with our neighbors, but probably more often asking them for things, um, we end up getting to know them. And um, that, that's taking time. years now in my house, but um, yeah, we're, we've learned to just be really grateful for what's there and make sure that um, we are committed to um, showing up for the places where we can be. So, you know, it's, it's a, you're doing all of these things, and there's all these opportunities to connect, but then you decided, okay, what, you want to get to know your neighbors more, so you said, okay, wh what can we do, how can we initiate to kind of deepen the relationship with some of our neighbors, so why don't you tell us about yeah, the block parties have been going on for a while, but after we went this last September we're looking, what can we kind of do to follow up with that? So we decided to have a, a pumpkin, pumpkin carving and cider party. So all right, bring a pumpkin if you want to carve it, or if you just want to have a cup of cider. And it was just a drop-in thing, and so it was really relaxed. People just kind of came and went. And in the end, there were eight different adults, two babies, and a dog. Came to our, <laughs> came in and out of our house, and it was just yeah, it was fun and relaxed. And okay, well, well done, and welcome to the RBG home. I draw the line at my focus when it comes to dogs. Uh, so, but there's been some some neighbors, you know, in doing all this, being very very intentional that you've really really got to know, that, uh, you know, that you've connected with. So, Phil, why don't you talk to us about that? Sure. So, um, Rebecca mentioned that we've been more intentional during the past year, and um, Rebecca being in the home during the day more often with Silas has um, made her more available because she doesn't drive out of the garage and leave for the day and then come back into the garage and not see people. So there have been opportunities for Rebecca to see other moms in the neighborhood, to go places with them, go to um, mom and baby groups around. And so um, I think that slowly she was starting to get to know people in the fall and starting to see some people on a weekly basis. And I was really excited for her. Um, I really believed that was important, but wasn't really getting to know people so much myself. But over time, as Rebecca had these friendships, um, some of their husbands um, said, oh, Rebecca's over here all the time, and hearing her talk about Phil, we to get to know Phil, too. So uh, we had some neighbors that invited us over, and um, they're not Christians. Um, one of them has no faith, and the other is Muslim, but they, um, they just really are open to us. They really love us. And, um, because we made ourselves available for that friendship, they really have pursued it as well. So it, getting to know neighbors, if it's not something that you're doing, it might sound like hard work or that you have to be really intentional. But there are lots of people out there that um, probably want to get you to know you as well. 
So I'm going to give a final question to each of you. Um, you know, this has been a journey, and again, we, you, every neighborhood's different. And, and God opens doors, shuts doors. Um, your dynamics of the neighborhood of your own family household are different, right? Uh, but in all of this, God is teaching you something. Right? So, what are some of the lessons that God has been teaching you? So, with you that kind of for me, it's been the importance of being vulnerable. I think sometimes it's easier to be the one to give than to receive. Um, but I think, yeah, when we're um, just realizing that you can show your, like the friendships are mutual, and um, part of that is letting people know when you're weak or you need help. Like this one morning when Silas, I think he was around five months at that point, diarrhea all over the carpet and himself on my watch. Exciting incident. <laughs> and uh, some friend Google searches told me I need baking soda. And of course we're out and the neighbors on either side of me were not home. So then the question was, do I reach out to the neighbor further down the street who I do not know very well? And I did. And I feel like that was that was a turning point in our in our friendship because I was kind of humiliated and desperate and she was there for me in that moment and helped me laugh at the situation and um, yeah then I felt like it opened up for them to ask help when they needed it so the other day their 6am ride to the airport fell through and so rather than just booking a cab they felt they could ask for a ride I felt really honored by that because it was early in the morning but um, or when they their block was out without water for a few days they came to us yeah, so I just think when we don't just try to solve things alone and are open to other people, then it kind of provides this opportunity to know people more deeply. And I think you just sometimes have to be the first one to ask for help, and then it gives other people permission to do that. Um, I would have to say that I've found some things to be easy and some things to be hard, and they're not necessarily always the things that I expected to be easy or hard. Um, so, for example, um, introducing myself to neighbors, I get queasy walking up to their house. Um, it, it makes me want to run away. Um, but when somebody actually opens the door, I found almost universally everybody wants to know their neighbor. Um, so most people are pretty glad to have you come and show up and say, oh, that would be great to get to know you better. They're just glad that you've taken the initiative. I even had a few people invite me in and one offered me a glass of wine, um, which was kind of interesting. Um, I have found um, it's actually not that hard to plan a block party. Um, City of Edmonton and Neighborhood Watch actually have block party planning kits. Um, it takes time, but it's not that hard to do. Um, the thing that I'm finding the hardest um, is watching out for people's needs. Because as Rob was saying, the Good Samaritan was looking out for somebody's needs. Um, the Good Samaritan did not get to be the Good Samaritan by introducing themselves to his neighbors and finding a lot party. Um, but meeting people's needs is not always easy. Um, it's easy if all you need is a lawnmower or baking soda or something simple like that. Um, but it's those deep needs, the really hard ones, those are the ones that I find that we're really good at hiding our deepest fears we don't tell people about. Um, the best example
example I can think of is actually um, our neighbor that has the three garages he rents at the houses. And, um, he doesn't live in our neighborhood anymore, but he still comes around often enough that we thought we knew him relatively well. Um, until he came around and, and explained that his wife had passed away a couple of weeks ago. And we were completely surprised and shocked. Um, and she'd been sick for months ahead of that. Um, so he's now single dad to two kids about our own age, or our own kids' age. Um, and when you've got needs like that, um, it's not so simple. It's not so cut and dry. It's a lot harder to know what to do. And those are needs that we can't meet on our own. Anyways, so, yeah, lots of movies. Um, I really like nice checklists of things to do. Um, and I'm finding that really at this point now, um, so much of it is just making sure that we keep our heads up, our eyes open, um, looking for out for those needs. Um, if they're simple, go for it. If they're more complicated, pray. It sounds really trite to say, but um, there it is. Yeah, the neighboring journey can, can certainly be messy, and it requires a certain vulnerability to be willing to be humble and say, no, I, I, my life is messy too. Can't let's engage in that together. Uh, and it requires paying attention to what is actually going on now, more than just doing a cup of sugar, which you, you're doing, right? You're doing that really well. But you're doing much deeper needs as well. Hey, let's uh, thank these guys for sharing with us this morning. Yeah. And, uh, That was fantastic. That was rich. Um, and I hope you're inspired by that. And I hope that uh, that their sharing their stories will say to you that, by God's grace, this is possible for you. You can do this. You can get to know your neighbors and love your neighbors and serve your neighbors. Let me close by with this thought. I want you to consider your neighborhood. And I want you to consider the reality that you might not be in your neighborhood by that, that in fact that God himself has orchestrated time and events and the circumstances of your life and the circumstances of your neighbor's life to actually put you together. You know, we have a God who's actually big enough, who's sovereign, uh, who nothing is impossible for him, who has incredible foresight, who sees all ends in a way that we could never see it. Could it be possible that God himself has actually put you in your neighborhood on and that God has a plan for your neighborhood, and that plan may in fact include you. I'm going to read a verse from Acts chapter 17, verse 26. This is Paul's famous sermon. He's preaching on uh, Mars Hill to uh, the philosophers there. He's talking about God, and he says this. He says, And he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind, so he's talking about uh, to live on all the face of the earth. And notice this. He says, Having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place. What he's saying is that every nation that's ever lived, every neighborhood that's ever existed, every house that's ever been in place, every place, person that's ever gone to a geographical location, that none of that has ever been by accident. That God somehow in his incredible sovereign knowledge and wisdom and power has orchestrated everything. That where you live is no accident. And that God would love for your home to be a lighthouse. Not a fortress, but a lighthouse. 
so cross point, I, I just want you to consider to the truth. I encourage you to consider. Is there a way that God can cause you to be amazing? What would that look like? How could you know your neighbors more? How could you love your neighbors well? Um, also want to let you know that I mean, if block party is on the menu for you and you're considering that, talk to us about that. We have this incredible thing called the portable party pack. It's basically a party in a trailer. You host the party, we'll get the party to you. Uh, commercial size barbecue, picnic tables, heater, propane, everything you need to make a block party happen. We have that. Crosswalk owns that. And we'd love to make that accessible to you. Lots of different people are using that. But let me ask you to consider how can you do and, and not just the neighbors where you live. What about the person across the cubicle from you? Or the classroom who sits behind you? You have lots of neighborhoods and neighbors in your proximity. And you're involved in lots of things. So let me charge you. Let me encourage you. Love you as well. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. I invite the band to come. And as they come, I want you to just consider this. The reason why we love people is because our God loves us so much. And we serve a God who is just so lovable. So let's end by worshiping and reminding ourselves of who God is and all that He's done. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.